Individual investors have a lot of sophistication that really they don't get credit for. They're looking at things that are undervalued that nobody's looking at. The industry um, has not really touted their own horn about what they're doing and that they really are focused on clean, clean energy and, and on the most efficient production of that energy. Hello and welcome to the TMS Exchange Feed podcast series. I'm Burke Suman, head of TSX Company Services, and I'm filling in for our regular host, Tanya Roundtree, today. Today we're coming to you from Calgary, where we have Joseph Schachter, a TV and radio commentator, speaker, noted oil and gas analyst focused on the Canadian energy sector, and the author of the Schachter Energy Report. Joseph, welcome, and thank you for joining us. You're a bit of a celebrity on the Canadian energy front. Can you please start by telling us about your background and how you got to where you are now? Thank you so much, Burke. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, I've been involved in the energy industry or the investment industry for over 40 years. Um, been through a number of the wonderful cycles of the 1970s, 74 to 81, and then of course uh, 2002 to 2008. Um, and been both uh, in my career, both been on the buy side and the sell side of the industry. I was a chief market strategist at Richardson Green Shields in, in, the, in my past and uh, and, uh, and uh, worked uh, with Maison Placement on the institutional energy side uh, prior to uh, setting up in April of 2017, the Schachter Energy Report. And what that was done was there was a vacuum on coverage of the energy and energy services sector for individual investors. So we created a subscriber uh, for them. A lot of reports and there's a lot of great research out there by the, by the brokerage houses for the institutional uh, community, but it doesn't really kind of direct the story to individual investors and uh, to talk about uh, seismic lines and you know and uh, per, you know you know well productivity and porosity and permeability that really doesn't uh, help individual investors. What you want to do is talk more of the numbers, the opportunity, the potential, the drilling thing, the ownership of management, uh, management's uh, focus on the company, and then uh, what we like to do is cover companies that are both dividend and model companies both on the energy and energy service sector because people want to get paid a little bit along yes, the way absolutely. as well as those that are growth stories. So it's been an interesting experience. Uh, we're very pleased with the response we've had. Uh, we're going on April would be year three uh, in terms of having the product out there for, for the customer. And uh, we're thinking that uh, we're going to have ourselves a fabulous energy cycle and a fabulous commodity cycle, which I think has started. Um, the CRB is broken out. Uh, we've seen the precious metals lead the way. Historically, you know, you've got the grains, you've got the the, right. the, the, the agricultural side, you've got the, the metal side. Precious metals have really led the way. and. Um, the biggest uh, winner so far has been palladium, but even gold has started acting a lot better and silver. So the reality is we think that there's a cross-the-board commodity play coming for that will last four or five years. And the basic issue is we have underinvested in terms of um, new capacity in copper and aluminum and all right. these industries, energy particularly, in the last five or six years. And with the central banks trying to get a little inflation out there mm -hmm. uh, with the massive amount of quantitative easing that we're seeing again now, um, they need a little inflation. They want some wage inflation. And with an underinvestment in commodities, um, if the, free, the new trade deal between China and the United States goes through, they're going to probably buy a lot of agricultural products, which will help the agricultural area. And, you know, corn, wheat, soybeans, prices will take off. Right. Um, and uh, we'll also, you know, you know, if they buy more energy, you know, from the United States, which is now a net, net exporter, net, net exporter yeah. uh, all of that will be very helpful. So we're 
very optimistic. We're thinking in the second half of this year, we might see crude oil, WTI, over $75 a barrel. Right now, we're about you know 58. Right. Uh, and we're looking um, you know for maybe 80, 85 in 2021. Right. And sometime in the next, between 2023 and 2025, we expect we'll see sustainable prices over $100 US per barrel, which is interesting because anytime we have strong commodity prices, we have a stronger Canadian dollar. Right. So the Canadian dollar, which is 76 cents US right now, um, is likely to move towards parity when we see $100 oil again, which would be very helpful, uh, you know, of course, for Canadians going overseas right. on a little holiday. Uh, instead of paying 1.31 to, to get a US dollar, um, you know, a parity dollar would be, you know, a lot better for Canada as well, even though right now companies like having US dollar revenues uh, because they convert them back uh, right. into Canadian. Do you see there being more risk premium now in oil? And is that helping out with what's going on in the Middle East? First question. The second one related to that, uh, Saudi Aramco, I mean, just went, uh, just IPO. They're going to need to sell more shares. Do you see that supporting your thesis of $75? Yeah, the, the, the key thing is, is that um, Saudi Aramco, uh, to get the deal done, um, Saudi Arabia had to be there uh, and, and focus on higher commodity prices to benefit Aramco versus market share. And so by doing the IPO, they started cutting back production in November. They cut back production in December. They've now said they're going to cut back in Q1 500,000 barrels a day for all of OPEC. 400,000 of that will be Saudi Arabia. So they're now focused and they've joined the party of the hawks, which want higher oil prices. So that is a, is a positive. Um, and I think, uh, you know, Saudi Aramco, if they're going to be able to sell the hundreds of billions of dollars of stock that they want to sell in the future to diversify the Saudi economy, right. they're not going to want to do it below issue price, right. uh, $8.32 US. Yeah. So they're going to want to see a premium and, and higher prices, which means they're going to want to see higher revenues, higher cash flow, an ability to pay a higher and growing dividend, uh, which means they have, have to stay in the camp of a price hawk. So uh, I think that is a major, major change for the energy industry, where the largest producer, uh, largest exporter in the world, um, you know, nine, 10 million barrels a day is now a price hawk. Right, right. And you talked some of the stuff in your Shakhtar Energy Report, and I'm lucky enough to be a subscriber of that and enjoy it uh, immensely. Um, the Shakhtar Energy Report is one product that, that you have. Another product that I know um, intimately now is your Shakhtar Energy Conference. So Cash Energy Conference, uh, we were uh, lucky enough to be sponsors last year. Um, myself personally, uh, I attended the conference in the first year um, as a presenting company. And, um, you know, I know much more about the conference now as a sponsor. Last year, I think we had close to 30 companies that presented at the conference. This year, you're saying it's going to be bigger and better. Do you want to talk to your plans about the conference for, for this year? Yeah, well, the, the goal of it was that a lot of um, individual investors, the only time they get to see management is at the annual meeting. So they go to the annual meeting, there's a, you know, they do all the legal stuff, which nobody cares about. Right. <laughs> and then the question is, how quickly can they do it? Can I finish it in five minutes or eight minutes? You know, and then they do a 10 or 15 minute presentation and you have some access to management, but you really don't have much time to talk to them. And, and the Q&A doesn't last long. So what we felt was important for, the, for, for our subscribers and for the public uh, to come was to be able to have face-to-face uh, -face meetings with companies where they do presentations. So last year, we in 2019, in, in October, we had 45-minute sessions. So the companies had 
you know, 25 minutes or so to present the story. And then um, um, there was a moderator in every room so they could, uh, with questions that we prepared in advance, mm -hmm. if it was slow in terms of the Q&A coming from the public. Uh, but the public then got a chance to, to ask questions. So we had last year 26 companies uh, that were on, on, on there um, in terms of presenting. Uh, we did it at Mount Royal University, which has a great facility for doing it. Right. Uh, we were fabulous. We were very pleased that TMX was there as a sponsor and did the interviews with the CEOs. So that was something again um, that the CEOs had a chance not only to be in front of you know four or five hundred people um, and tell their story, uh, but also had to have had the follow up afterwards, which I think was very very beneficial. And the key thing is. The, the individual investor is really the only player right now. You know, the institutions are own, maybe own, you know, the two largest energy names, CNQ and Suncor, right. or they own Enbridge and TransCanada. And names below that just aren't getting it on the radar and aren't getting any attention. And retail investors, individual investors, you know, you know, if you look at when, you know, the, the, the cannabis industry three, four years ago when it was hot, it was retail investors, yeah. individual investors were there. And if you go back a year ago, who were the gold investors? So individual investors have a lot of sophistication that really they don't get credit for. They're looking at things that are undervalued that nobody's looking at. And historically, the energy sector, when it has its win, you know, for, you know, which it doesn't happen very often that we have these, these very strong commodity bull markets, right. but when they do, they move up a lot. C&Q from 1999 to 2008 went up 29 times. Wow. Like it was shocking. People don't realize how much gains were there. And then we've seen, um, you know, you know, the stocks are so cheap now relative to NAV, relative to cash flow, uh, bargains out there um, that we think that the cycle, you know, the, 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 the high on the TSX energy index, I think today it was 145, mm -hmm. uh, was 470 in Q2 of 2008. I think before the cycle is over, we go to a new high. So if we go from, you know, let's say we have a bit of a correction down to 120 here, you know, in the next month or two, which I think is possible if the crude oil price continues to back off, then from 120 to 500, that's a four bagger right. plus. And so given the heavy weights of Imperial and Husky and the others, it tells you that the more entrepreneurial names or the companies that are very successful with the drill bit could be five or 10 baggers. That's what makes it an interesting um, investment area for the individual investor. Right. So this next cycle you're you're talking about 2020 to 2025. Let's look beyond that for a sec because I'm reading a lot in mainstream media about putting an end to hydrocarbons in the next 10 to 20 years. Um, and you know, this is just not feasible as global indicators show demand continuing to rise. How do you feel about that? And what do you think about? past five years, past the cycle that you're talking about? I think you've got to look at it from two perspectives. One, the, uh, the industrial economies and the emerging economies. The industrial economies will start using less energy for transportation, but for, for uh, industrial uses, petrochemicals, fertilizers, all that stuff, they're going to still use a lot and maybe a growing amount of uh, fossil fuels, natural gas or oil. Uh, electricity, you know, is going to be more natural gas right. over time, LNG and, and natural gas. As we we're doing in Alberta, you know, the coal-fired facilities are being shut right. and they're bringing on more natural gas fired. The emerging markets, uh, you know, and, and sorry, going back to the industrial economies, we're going to see electric vehicles take off. We're going to use uh, more wind power. We're going to use, uh, you know, more solar over time. Uh, and so the environmental movement is very strong in the industrialized world and, and is successful. The emerging markets don't have that luxury. You know, you're talking about uh, people there that have long distances. They, you know, they 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 want to be able to go, you know, and they, you know, with you know, small. Like take India for example. Um, India has, you know, a, a, an agricultural industry where 
uh, produce can't get to the urban markets because it's because because of, of the, the the heat and the in the humidity to get it from you know the rural markets to the cities is tough. And China went and figured that out and said, look, we've got to move three four hundred million people from rural China to urban China and free up and make sure that the our farmers get a better income and that they have the ability to move that that product um, to market without you know having fifty percent of it destroyed. Right. And so they did that successfully. China it, it was an example that India is now following. And so if India is able to do that, then there'll be a large population movement into the urban markets for, you know, industrial manufacturing or whatever, you know, industries that they can create. Um, and, and that would then increase the incomes of the farmers. And of course, that means if they're going to have a 4cc truck uh, taking that's the product right. in, that's going to be an increasing demand. And, you know, and, and, and the distances that they have are, are long. And you can't have, you know, they're not going to have EV charging stations right, uh, right across India or right. Nigeria or, you know, or, 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 or Argentina. So you're really talking that, uh, you know, industrial side of the world is going to be focused on less use of energy and more efficient use of energy and more um, clean air replace you know um, renewables right but i think the 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 emerging market world is where the growth is going to be and that's right. mainly asia and if you go to uh, bp's website or you go to chevron's website they have a lot exxon mobil they have a tremendous amount of material on there for investors to look at of how they perceive the you know 2030 2040 2050 range of, of, of an usage of energy and that's why those companies continue to stay in the game they're not saying okay we need to turn ourselves into an ev company you know they're saying that they still see remember if, if we have 100 million barrels a day of consumption and you have an eight or nine percent decline rate. You've got to come up with eight or nine million barrels a day just to, to replace. just to stand yeah. still. Yeah. And so, if demand goes from 100 to 105, 106, uh, you know, 10 years from now, and you have that depletion issue, that means the industry's got to spend a lot of money replacing the decline rates. And so, yes, you've had good discoveries with Amarata, Hess, and uh, and Exxon on, on Guyana. There's been some nice discoveries in the North Sea, um, some nice discoveries uh, offshore, uh, we, you know, West Africa. Africa, but those discoveries are not enough to replace the decline rates that are happening. And so a lot more capital has to be spent to replace declines. Right. And back to your comments on China and India, what a fantastic role that Canada could potentially play in exporting natural gas by way of LNG to these countries to displace coal and dung, which these countries are still burning. Yeah. Um, what a role we could play on kind of the global scene, um, something that hopefully um, you know, Kitimat's being built, but uh, and I was very pleased enough. today that we saw Premier Horgan say that this mm -hmm. is something in the interests of BC, and we have to have a resolution. This is what the law says, absolutely. Uh, and I think that that is important for us, uh, for us uh, as an industrial country, and to be able to show the world. Like people don't realize how much progress we have made on ESG, environmental, you know, uh, you know, the, the social and uh, and governance. And, you know, you look at uh, the announcement by Suncor of putting in a cogen facility and, right. and that's going to improve environment. Synovus last week, I believe, made a, a major announcement of uh, what they're going to do to lower emissions by 30 percent. The industry has not gotten credit compared to other industries, cement industry or chemical industry. Uh, and so I think that the, uh, the, you know, investors should be looking at the announcements. Many companies now have, you know, committees of, of their board of directors yep. on the ESG uh, file. Uh, so I think that this is, uh, you know, the, the, the industry, 
um, has not really touted their own horn about what they're doing and that they really are focused on clean, clean energy and, and on the most efficient production of that energy um, for uh, Canadians and, and for the world on an export basis. Right. I mean, I absolutely agree with you. The energy companies, uh, the larger ones here in Calgary, do an incredible job when it comes to ESG disclosure. Now, you talk to a lot of institutional investors yourself. Do you think that not getting up to speed with ESG disclosure is going to impede access to capital? I mean, capital is already tough for the energy sector in Calgary. Um, do, do you think not disclosing for maybe your mid-caps or your junior companies, is that going to impede their access to capital? Well, capital has been tough to get for the sector, period. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, uh, and again, uh, you know, if, if the stocks don't do well, you can't, you know, it's it's a Pavlovian thing. Right. You need the stocks to double and triple and then you can raise capital. Right. And so if the stocks are in the doghouse and trading at 52-week lows, below book value, below NEV. It's not going to matter. <laughs> the first thing, they don't want to raise capital at these levels anyway. Right. So you need to see a massive capital appreciation before the equity markets, before the companies will want access to the equity markets because they don't want to dilute the current shareholders. So I think that uh, the, 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 the people don't realize but even the small and medium-sized companies are doing things on ESG. They're focusing on, um, on using, um, you know, going from uh, burning uh, diesel fuel at the facilities to using their own natural gas at the, at the you know, at their production facilities. Um, many of them are, you know, are looking at ways to lower their methane emissions. Many of them are trying to find out how to use less water when they're drilling. Uh, so the, the industry, I think, is... Uh, right across the board is, is doing what needs to be done. And when you compare the, the detail that's out there by the energy industry from large cap to small cap versus other industries, I think these guys are way ahead of the curve relative to most industries. And, uh, you know, again, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the one that everybody looks at first on when you talk environment because they immediately think about the energy sector. But the reality is there's so many other industries, cement industries and, you know, pulp and paper, uh, you know, chemical industries, uh, others that, that and, and also the, the utilities. You know, when you put on a hydro plant, uh, you know, you're taking away a lot of, you know, knocking down a lot of trees that are, that are there. Right. So you got to even look at, you know, the hydro facilities that are being put on. Um, and, and the impact that they have on the environment, which isn't so positive. Right, right. No, I think, um, you know, in terms of the last barrel being produced at some point, I think, and I totally agree with what you say, I mean, Canadian energy companies do exemplary job, um, and I think we should be the last uh, barrel ever to, to be produced when it gets to that. Um, it just strikes me still, uh, you know, I shake my head when we're importing oil from, yeah. from countries into, like, like into, Saudi into and, Eastern Canada. and I think Angola. The, and yeah, I think the key is people have to realize that there's, there's really three industries. There's the light oil condensate industry, and we're short condensate in the, in the province. Mm -hmm. There's the natural gas, which is, you know, of course, the cleanest burning yep. fuel and where the LNG business is. And then there's the uh, heavy oil in-situ thermal and oil sands uh, oil, which is the heavier grades. And that's really where we've had the big increase in, in production over the last number of years to, you know, we're right now probably 5.5 million barrels a day. Three million of that is, is the heavier grades. The key thing is, is uh, are we going to get export markets for us to see growth in that? Because I'm concerned uh, that if um, you know, Mexico is successful with, and they've had a big offshore discovery oh, yeah, in, yeah. in 2019. Yeah. Uh, if they're able to get the Mayan heavies back up, 
the distance from Mexico to the Gulf Coast refineries is a lot shorter than it is from Canada with rail. The other one, of course, is if there's a change in regime in, in Venezuela, uh, a lot of the companies that own the Gulf Coast you know, refineries uh, were the ones who were the operators of the Venezuelan crude. So Canada has to find more new markets. And you know, if we can get markets uh, with, you know, with another Energy East proposal or some maybe, maybe Churchill becomes an export point because of the, the, the opening of the, you know, the season there right. um, and the grain industry you know, with, the, with the terminals that are being built there, the, you know, the Fairfax yeah. railway that's been put in. And then hopefully, you know, maybe there's a solution through Alaska. If, if, if BC doesn't want oil lines, um, but only natural gas lines, then maybe we go north through Alberta into the north of Canada and then, right. and then west to Alaska. So, uh, you know, there's different things that can be done, but, um, and there's also things like the hockey pucks, you know, that That's you right. hear about, That's right. or bladders, you know, where, where they can put on rail, rail cars. I think we need to, you know, find new solutions, new technologies, but the basic issue is, uh, I think our market share you know, in the United States has probably peaked, especially with the success that the United States has had. And if those, you know, southern markets, uh, you know, get taken back by Venezuela and Mexico, we're going to need export yeah. capacity. And that really is the frustration for the Western Canadian industry is we could we could grow it quite significantly because we have the second largest reserves in the world. But the problem is we're going to have to find export markets and then produce it as environmentally clean as as any industry as any producer of energy in the world and we can't right and we can we are right um so other than kind of esg um what other recommendations do you have for medium to small energy companies on the tsx and on the tsx venture i think that a lot of the companies you know when i go see them you know they're very candid they're open they tell the story but because the, they haven't felt that the markets are open to them they really haven't been very proactive telling their story. Uh, what I really like is uh, many companies do presentations, um, you know, webcasts when they announce their quarterly results. I think more companies should do that. And I think they should, uh, you know, market that and say to their retail investors, individual investors, we just put up this webcast that we just did, uh, which relates to our, an update on our Q3 results and allow the Q&A from the institutional investors and the analysts to be heard by those people. And then every once in a while, update your website presentation. Like, you know, not saying every month to do it, right. but every two or three months. And then again, market that you've updated your presentation so that your investors know, here's the most recent information about our company. Um, I think a lot of people are um, now, even if they're, you know, working with, a, you know, an individual investment advisor or working through, a, you know, an internet broker, uh, they now have access to quotes and then they can find out what the most recent information is. And of course, your website, you know, has also a lot of information as well. Right. But I think the key thing is, um, you know, the, it, it's, it's, it's up to the individual investor to know what they've got, to know their companies and to and be proactively understanding. Look, you know, if they have a half a million bucks in their house or, you know, three million if it's Toronto, you know, versus a half million in Calgary, mm -hmm. you know what your house is right. like and you know what's going on mm -hmm. there. Well, if you have an RSP or, you know, with a half a million bucks, you know, take the same ownership uh, interest in knowing what's in there and what you're doing with it as you would with your own home, right. which is usually the biggest asset that most people have right. in terms of their net worth. Makes sense. Excellent recommendations. Joseph, I want to thank you for being with us today. We look forward to opening the markets again with you this year and look forward to sponsoring the 2020 Shakhtar Energy Conference. 
Um, like we talked about, it's going to be bigger and better this year. And 2020 looks to be a rebound year for energy. So I'm really looking forward to catching the energy on October 17th. Thanks to everyone listening online as well. Joseph, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you.